0: I invite you to open your Bible or one of the Pew Bibles to the book of the Acts, chapter 12. I'm going to be reading this chapter in its entirety. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you have promised through your Son, Jesus Christ, who said, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and live. So may it be, to the glory of your name, amen. amen. Acts chapter 12, this is the word of God, it is written. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, that is, the Jewish establishment, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James, another James, and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. To him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, power, and dominion forever and ever. What I want you to take away from this sermon today is a cheerful confidence that Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, ruling over heaven and earth, is sovereign over death, danger, and the devil. That's our focus. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, ruling over heaven and earth, is sovereign over death, danger, and the devil. Acts 12 takes us back to Jerusalem, and the scene is not a happy one as it was in the thriving church of Antioch as we read in chapter 11. Now the dark shadow of persecution falls again on the church in Jerusalem. The scripture says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church in Jerusalem. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now this Herod the king was Herod Agrippa. He was the grandson of Herod the Great, who is more familiar to us because Herod the Great is the one who was in power when Jesus was born. He's the one who ordered the slaughter of all the males two years old and younger around Bethlehem when Jesus was born. But And he was a diabolical madman and his grandson Agrippa was a diabolical madman. These Herods were Puppets of Rome put in place by Rome to keep the Jewish people in line and at peace. And so the title king of the Jews was really a politically cynical sham. And they were cynical, opportunistic politicians in cahoots with Caesar. They were ruthless, power-mongering, sexually immoral, horrible, truly Horrible men under the dominion of the devil. Herod Agrippa could see that the church in Jerusalem was growing, and that could mean trouble. In his paranoid mind, it might mean that a new revolutionary force was growing in Jerusalem, or that the Christians might gain the upper hand over traditional Judaism in Jerusalem, and it was his job to keep the peace. So Herod Agrippa decided to nip it in the bud by executing one of the prime leaders of the church in Jerusalem. He killed James, the brother of John. You remember James and John, the sons of thunder? James was a member of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. Remember? When Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, He took with Him Peter, James, and John. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took aside with Him Peter, James, and John. James was very close to Jesus, and Herod Agrippa killed Him with the sword. Our natural inclination in a situation like this is to ask, well, why James? Why James? James was so great. James was so gifted. James was so faithful, so needed. Why James? We're inclined to react that way, aren't we? Please note that the Scripture doesn't give us a hint that the Christians in Jerusalem reacted that way. They didn't panic. They didn't scatter, they didn't go into hiding, they didn't renounce their faith in Christ. Surely, surely, yes, they grieved, but as they grieved, they affirmed their faith in Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, ruling over heaven and earth, and his sovereignty over death. Surely as they grieved, they also believed that the martyrdom of James would serve only to build up the church and advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ to the glory of God because Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, ruling over heaven and earth, is sovereign over death, even horrible, unjust deaths such as James's. We need to believe that and take courage in it. Well, Herod Agrippa saw that the execution of James pleased the Jews, that is, the Jewish establishment. And so he arrested Peter also. But at this point, the Passover celebration had begun, which means that it was an opportune time for Herod Agrippa to show all the Jewish pilgrims in Jerusalem that he opposed those Christians. But since it was during the Passover and Days of Unleavened Bread... Trials and executions were not permitted by Jewish law, and so to prove that he was a good observer of Jewish law, Agrippa had arrested Peter and threw him into prison until after the Passover when he intended to uh, have a public rigged trial in a kangaroo court and then have Peter executed. Sounds somewhat familiar, doesn't it? Luke tells us that while Peter was kept in prison, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Listen to this. The church prayed to God who is sovereign over all things. Sovereign over danger. God's sovereignty was not a philosophical hindrance to prayer. If God is sovereign, why pray? No. No. Quite the contrary. The church prayed earnestly to God, who is sovereign over all things, including death and danger. God's sovereignty ought to inspire us and encourage us to pray. Our God is the sovereign God. Now, in prison, Peter was double-chained to two Roman soldiers, one on his left, one on his right, and in addition, Two sentries were stationed at the cell door. Peter wasn't getting out and nobody was getting in. It was the night before Peter's execution. He was double-chained between two brutes. Put yourself in his place. How are you feeling? Thinking about never seeing your friends and family again? The Gospel of Mark tells us that Peter was married. Presumably his wife was still alive. Presumably they had children. Wondering whether you would actually feel the blade when it fell on your neck. Worrying about whether they would torture you mercilessly before they killed you. Worrying about the Jerusalem church and what would become of it. Worrying about who would be next. Wondering why God would let this happen. All of that would be understandable. But the Bible says that Peter was sleeping, sleeping, sleeping between the two soldiers. And Peter's reaction when the angel woke him up indicates that he was in a very deep, deep sleep, a very peaceful sleep on the night before his execution. Why? Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, is sovereign over death and danger. Now, I want you to remember this scene and think about it. Peter sleeping between two Roman soldiers on the night before his execution. Get that picture in your mind whenever you read a passage from the first and second letters of Peter. We often read this as our call to worship from 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most of you ought to be able to say this by memory, by now. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. If you believe that, if you really believe that, You can sleep deeply and peacefully on the night before your execution. How about this from 1 Peter 4.12? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Do you think Peter knew what he was talking about when he wrote that? You bet he did. How about this wonderful memory verse? 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That was not a sweet platitude for Peter. That was reality. Because Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, ruling over heaven and earth, is sovereign over death and danger. Oh, to live and to die with that certainty embedded in my heart. Verse 7, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. Now, this would have been a very, very bright light, but it it didn't wake up Peter out of his deep and peaceful sleep. So the angel struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up, quickly. The chains fell off his hands, and the angel said, Dress yourself. Put on your sandals. Now, you know, (laughs) the... There may be a little bit of humor in this scene. you just got to picture it. The angel can hardly rouse Peter out of his stupor. This is Peter's opportunity to escape. And the angel has to say to him, hurry up. Get up. Get dressed. we got to go. Put on your cloak. Come on. Follow me. Come on. Peter was still in a stupor. Didn't really know what was going on. Maybe this was a vision. Maybe it was a dream. And then all this really cool stuff started happening. The chains had already fallen off. Then the, the cell door swings open. They walk right past the two sentries and, 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 and they came to the iron gate of the prison and it opened of its own accord. And they went down the street a little bit and then the angel vanished. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, ruling over heaven and earth, is sovereign over danger. And one of the ways he exercises his sovereignty over danger for his redeemed people is the ministry of angels who are under his command. There is an invisible, unseen, supernatural realm. Angels are real, but they are not sweet, chubby babies. They are servants of God, His messengers. They are fierce warriors of the Most High God. They do God's bidding. And therefore, we ought to be very aware of the reality of the invisible, unseen, supernatural realm. We ought to have a biblical, not superstitious, not new age, not trivial, but biblical understanding of angels. I remember that about 30 years or so ago, angels were all the rage. Y'all, if you're old enough, remember that? In decor in you know, rearview mirror dangling things and in candles and all this stuff to the point that it seemed that angels were more important than Jesus and that is heresy. The letter to the Hebrews plainly tells us that Jesus is superior to all the angels and that all the angels are in subjection to him. So let's not get obsessed with angels Let's don't get overly curious about angels. Let's not always be looking for an angel because most of the time they are invisible to our eyes. And certainly we are not ever, never, ever, never to pray to our guardian angel. I heard that just recently. Oh, no. That's horrible. Horrible theology. We should, however, pray as Scripture teaches us to pray in Psalm 91. You can pray this. That the Lord would command his angels concerning us and our fellow believers everywhere to guard us in all our ways and that on their hands they would bear us up lest we strike our foot against a stone. Psalm 91, 11 and 12. Catherine and I pray for God to give his angels charge over our children and grandchildren to bear them up. Quoting Psalm 91 practically every day. Now, the Bible does not speak definitively about a specific guardian angel for each believer, though some passages might possibly suggest it. In verse 15, the, when Rhoda announced that Peter was at the door of the house, the believer said, she's crazy, and that it was his angel uh, that is appearing in his likeness as a messenger. But, and, and Jesus said that no one should despise one of these little ones in Matthew 18. No one should despise one of these little ones, meaning believers Who are weak in faith because in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father. Well, whether there are specific personal guardian angels for Christians or not, it doesn't really matter, does it? What matters is that God, when He chooses and pleases, exercises His sovereignty through His army of angels to minister to His redeemed people. Angels are real and I think that they help us and protect us and direct us far, 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 far more than we can ever know. How many times a day are we spared disaster? We have no idea. What's the difference between driving home safely and a terrible wreck about a half a second? Now, you... you some of you probably know what it's like, or maybe you've heard very, very credible stories. Somebody sh- showing up out of the blue in the nick of time to help you or someone else in a difficult or dangerous situation, and then, woo, he's gone, and you never see that person again in your life. I hesitate to tell you this story out of my personal experience, but here goes. In the summer of 1975, at the age of 18, I was on a youth mission trip to the Caribbean island of Dominica, which I think is now called Tortula. At that time, it was nothing but a gigantic rock and jungle with impoverished villagers. We were building a cinder block church. One day after work, late in the afternoon, I was was sitting on a rock, upon the hillside, looking at the Caribbean, all by myself. And, 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 and down the hill, along the rocky road, uh, an old, bedraggled, impoverished Caribbean villager whom I'd never seen came walking along. And he got up to about parallel where, where I was sitting on the rock And he stopped, and he looked up at me, and he said, I am waiting for my goats. And uh, he looked back down the road, and I looked back down the road, and I I saw his, his little flock sort of dawdling along, dawdling along. And then he 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 walked on, and I've never forgotten it, like it was yesterday. I am waiting for my goats. I don't know. I do not know if that old impoverished shepherd was an angelic messenger of the Lord. I do not know. But what he said to me was perfect for an 18-year-old boy considering the ministry. And what I do know Is that if you are a goat, today is the day to quit dawdling, lost in your sins, and run as fast as you can to Jesus, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep and become his little lamb. Okay, back to the text. This is where it really does get somewhat humorous. Peter went to Mary's house. That's not Jesus' mother. That's the mother of John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Mark. And Peter knocked at the door of the gateway and the servant girl, Rhoda, went to answer it. But when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so excited that she forgot to open the door, ran back to the house to tell the others. They said, they're they're crazy. Can't possibly be. It's his angel appearing in his likeness to give us some assurance. And when they opened the door, they saw him and they were amazed. But here's the question. Why didn't those praying Christians believe Rhoda? Why were they amazed? Didn't they believe that God could answer their prayers? Yes. So maybe this shows us that they prayed earnestly for Peter, but they did not presume that God would answer their prayers exactly as they wanted Him to. They prayed earnestly for Peter, but they just didn't know how it was going to turn out for him. No, name it and claim it here. No. No pushing God around. And so they were amazed. Maybe it goes even deeper. The Scripture says they prayed earnestly for Peter. Maybe they weren't praying for Peter to be miraculously delivered from prison. Maybe they accepted that he was going to be executed because that was evidently evidently the Lord's will. And so maybe they prayed for Peter. The way in which the Apostle Paul asked the Philippians to pray for him when he was in a Roman prison anticipating his execution. That through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Whether by life or by death. Maybe they were primarily praying for God to empower Peter with courage, peace, joy, bold witness, and persevering faith to the end for the honor of God. And God answered that prayer and more. So, Someone has cancer. We're going to pray for physical healing. But are we also going to pray that this cancer would be used by God to bring that person closer to the Lord? That the Lord would fill that believer with courage and peace and joy in the midst of cancer so that he or she might be a stronger witness for the Lord so that healing or no healing that believer would honor the Lord, whether by life or by death, and that God would be glorified and his kingdom would be advanced. And when we start praying like that, we will really be praying to the one who is sovereign over death, danger, and the devil. Finally, and briefly, Christ's sovereignty over the devil. You see it at the end of this passage. Herod Agrippa goes up the coast to Tyre and Sidon for some political shenanigans, and he got dressed up in this robe made of silver, and the sunlight made him shine like a gospel, uh, like an angel. And the, and the interesting thing is the Jewish historian Josephus records this event, including Herod's gruesome death, in his own secular work of history. So Agrippa began his speech, and all the people, you know, they were trying to get favor from him. And a voice of a God and not a man. And Herod Agrippa received their deification of him. Well, there's another entire sermon right there about human rulers who think that they are God and want to be God and want to be worshipped as God. And it repeats itself throughout history to this very day. But here's the point. Herod Agrippa, who killed James and planned to kill Peter, now himself got struck dead in a horrible way by an angel of the Lord. An angel under the command of Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, who is sovereign over death, danger, and the devil. You think Jesus doesn't care for his suffering, persecuted people? He cares. And he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So brothers and sisters, you know, some of Jesus' followers are put to death for the glory of God. Like James. Some are temporarily delivered for the glory of God. Like Peter. Who was later crucified upside down for the glory of God. Or like Paul, who was temporarily delivered, but later was beheaded for the glory of God. But here it is. Take it away with you, please. Please. Brothers and sisters, would you please be cheerful, not fearful? If your faith is in Jesus Christ, death is not the issue. How you face death is the issue. Be cheerful, not fearful. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, ruling over heaven and earth, is sovereign over death, danger, and the devil. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that we have a great Savior who has done it all for us and will keep us to the end and into glory. Grant us grace to believe what you promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, I ask you to stand for the affirmation of faith, and I want you to say it like you mean it. Believing Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of his own precious blood, he has fully paid for all He also watches over me so well that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work together to fit His purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me a whole ready and willing to live for Him. Amen.